Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man means you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Not as a matter of charity, but as a matter of justice or business. When white people talk to other white people about business, it's about business. When white people talk to black people about business, it's about charity. And that is the wrong model pushed by even establishment Democrats. We're talking about finally getting stigmatized populations into American business as a matter of justice and business. Let me put a final point on it. The U.S. government itself can be recast as a white business with a few black faces on top. I can say this because under Obama's administration, black unemployment has gone up, or black home ownership has gone down, and yet I'm still reading columns calling him the most successful president imaginable. So know that the logic of white supremacy promotes individual black people to sell the message that white supremacy is not a political problem. The Obama presidency has been a disaster for black Americans in terms of economic inclusion. Independent producer Brian Allen is suing the administration for breaking the Civil Rights Act of 1866. For the government defaulting on its obligation to make sure that businesses do businesses with black-owned businesses. Burn it up and 
authentic, your repentance can be authentic, is that you give back what you took. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. May the last one burn into everyone and thank you for being with us on our common ground tonight we talk the nature of freedom in the shadow of black bodies incarcerated black bodies on our streets thank you for being with us i'm janice graham and i'll be listening for you transforming truth to power one broadcast at a time and now janice graham Good evening, everyone, and thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. It is the sanctuary for black truth in America. Come on in. Take your seats. Tonight, we are going to be in conversation with Irami Osang Frimpong. He is the editor of the website and refers to himself as The Funky Academic. The website, thefunkyacademic.com, where he does short videos introducing concepts in political philosophy to the beat of 70s funk and 90s hip-hop. He is a Ph.D. student at the University of Georgia in Anthens, studying philosophy and writing on freedom and alienation, and we are so pleased to be able to have him with us tonight as we gather around looking at whether or not we understand this thing, this elusive thing called freedom. Do you know? Are you free? Our people have been on the road rampage and struggle for freedom for over 400 years. We have rebelled. We have resisted. We have sung. We have marched. And we have demanded. 2016. More black people in prison. More black children impoverished. More black people killed and brutalized by police and live under an oppressive capitalism and have been abandoned by corrupt politics. We watch black men and women's bodies fall in the street 
They enter jails, never to come out alive, under law. Most of us have declared that we are free. We, 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 we believe that our citizenry, the agency of our citizenry, includes freedom. And then there are some who continue to fight for a complete freedom. But what exactly is freedom? And we're so glad to be able to have discussion tonight. Before we bring in Osei Irami, Osei Frimpong, you all get used to that now. You all, you, you know, my southern tongue sometimes gets hung up on these things. Before we bring in Irami Osei Frimpong, I do want to um, have a little love gathering here uh, to honor the day of their birth. Two of my sheroes, Asada Shakur and Ida B. Wells Barnett, who is not only my shero, but she is also my founding mother of Delta Sigma Theta, and uh, I would be remiss in in not honoring their births on this day. It's really interesting that they are bo- both born on uh, the same day. Let me tell you a little about Asada Shakur, in case you do not know. Um she was a black panther she is a black panther activist uh her birth name her slave name as she refers to it joanne deborah chesmar in 1973 as i listened to reports in absolute horror because she was also a political mentor of mine She was pulled over by the New Jersey State Police, shot twice, and then charged with murder of a police officer. Asada Shakur spent six and a half years in prison under some very brutal circumstances before escaping out of a maximum security wing of the Clinton Correctional Facility for Women in New Jersey in 1979 and sought exile in the nation of Cuba, where she currently resides. She said, my name is Asada, she who struggles, Allah, for the people, Shakur, the thankful one, and I am a 20th century escaped slave. Because of government persecution, I was left with no other choice than the flee from the political repression, racism, and violence that dominate the United States government's policies toward people of color. I am an ex-political prisoner, and I have been living in exile in Cuba since 1984. And we certainly raise her up in our historical spirit, um... Uh, on this day, on her birthday. Now, 
about Ida B. Wells. She her name is Ida B. Wells Barnett. She was a crusader, anti anti lynching crusader. She was known for her efforts in both journalism and on the street activism. She led anti-lynching crusades in the United States in in the 1890s. She was a daughter of slaves, born in Holly Springs, Mississippi, on July 16, 1862. In 1882, she moved with her sisters to Memphis, Tennessee, to live with an aunt. On one fateful train ride from Memphis to Nashville in 1884, she reached a personal turning point. Having bought a first-class ticket to Nashville, she was outraged when the train crew ordered her to move to the car for African-Americans and re- and she refused on principle. You should know the rest of the story. And we thank you so very much for joining us in remembering the births of these sheroes. I have um, gotten a frozen, uh, and I can't bring Dr. I keep calling Irami doctor, but we thank you for being here, and we also want to remind you about the love gathering that is sponsored by, that is sponsored, oh, see, this is, this kind of, this is kind of crap that really bothers me. That's not me, that's not me. You do not get 50% off smartphones at our common ground. I am apologize. There's something going on here. We've got a cross connection, and here we go. Uh, Rami Osei from Pong, thank you so very much for being with us, our, my brother. How are Good you? Good evening. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for for joining us. We really enjoyed having you with us as a newcomer to our common ground last last Saturday night, last Sunday. Um, and I do want to thank all of you who joined us on our Sunday special. Um, yes. Arami. So we're here to talk about freedom. Yeah, but but first, explain to us. You are a student of political philosophy. Yes. What does that mean? All right, so one of the problems that we deal with in philosophy and in life is that we all use these words like freedom and justice and even religion and goodness and all of these great-sounding words, but um, we use them a little bit imprecisely and strategically imprecisely. And what happens is that we get caught in a network of concepts that we end up distorting our experience of reality just because we use these words like justice and freedom and we fight for justice and freedom. But since the way we use it is confused, like it it confuses our experience of justice and freedom. So my job is just to clarify 
what some of these things that we're fighting and dying and sending other people to fight and die for are. Well, Does that make sense? Yes, it, it certainly does make sense. Right. I, one of the things I, I, I want to ask you about, and when, you know, most people have a sense that philosophers are old European uh, yeah. uh, um, prophets of some kind. Right. And I I think it's intriguing um, with my dear brother Tommy Tommy J uh, Dr. Tommy J Curry and with you to know that we have young black men and women who are creating an explanation or sidebars and f- footnotes and headers uh, for our experience as a people in this country. I find that so intriguing. You know, I mean, nobody asked me if I wanted to be a philosopher when I was in high school. <laughs> did no. somebody ask you? No, no. I How did you get this notion to, become a, to study philosophy? Because you're really it, it creating was... philosophy on your website. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. When I was a freshman in college, I was uh, a little bit intimidated by my classmates. I went to one of these big fancy schools. I went to Berkeley out in California. And uh, I just looked at the most interesting guy on my dorm room floor, and he was studying philosophy. Uh-huh. And so I just kind of so followed him and did what he did for a year. And it kind of worked out um, in a non-obvious way. By the way, that is a bad reason to study philosophy. There are very good reasons to study philosophy. That's a bad that reason a to bad study reason. anything. That's a bad, that's a bad <laughs> reason. Well, but you know, you hear about all of these great stories about people who go to college and then end up doing great things, and you ask them why they went to college, and the story's always like, well, I followed my girlfriend up there. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I followed, you know, it's really my girlfriend. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it, it's really interesting that we don't take note of how we come about Scholastic goals. When I was a kid, uh, when 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 I went uh, when when I went to Wellesley College. Oh, okay, back in yeah, the day, I went to Brandeis. Yeah, my daughter is uh, a graduate of Brandeis as well. I love Brandeis good, University. Good. Um, good, good. But my dad owned some liquor stores, you know, small liquor stores in the black community. Uh, And he, and, and I would have to help him do inventory, which is why I know all these liquors. And I'm really enjoying this fireball, (laughs) which is a cinnamon whiskey that I'm having tonight with my California um, spicy cheese rolls. Um, So um, when he, when I would do, um, his inventory and help him do his orders. That was what I did as a kid on Saturday, on Sunday evening. Um, right. And 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 I kept thinking to myself and and saying to him, well, why does this distributor bring only this gin and this scotch? Why can't they bring the bourbon and the other thing too? And you would be paying this many fees. And I knew at that point. That You're a businesswoman. I wanted to go into business. Um, yeah. And 
law school was like a second thing, and I think I did that because my dad was a lawyer, and that was it. That was it. But had I known that I could have been an anthropologist uh, or a historian, like my good friend Dr. Renoko Rashidi, who I find intriguing, had I known that I could possibly um, make a profession out of uh, or a life out of how people think, I would have done that. I didn't know anything about psychiatry, uh, but it's really interesting how kids, how how we form the world in which major decisions are made. Uh, when I went to, I, I am a graduate of the Sloan School of Management at MIT, and when I was at the Sloan School, my father, who was a graduate of Howard Law School, and also a business person couldn't understand how in the hell I was spending all that money to get a degree in business. And, you know, in what universe was I going to be able? <laughs> he thought I was going to Wall Street or something. And right. I had no intention of going to Wall Street. But it's, <laughs> but, but I think that um, when, when you were at Brandeis, um, and my daughter is a graduate of Brandeis, and that university just reeks with excellence in academics. I mean, I don't know Terry Terry Williams of the Terry Williams Agency uh, was at Brandeis. Angela Davis was teaching at Brandeis when oh, yeah, my daughter was. was there. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. spent a lot of time. I used to use the the when I when I was in law school, I used to use the uh, Brandeis Library a lot. Right. Not because they had more books or they had more resources, but <laughs> simply because it was clear that scholarship was going on there. The students were engaged in study. Um, all the black kids that I knew that went to Brandeis during my day, in, in the day, Irami, um, they didn't party. Uh, they only partied on Saturday night. Everybody else partied on Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, uh, I hear stories about people who partied in college, but I went to Berkeley and then I went to Brandeis for my master's, and I, I feel like I missed out on all of that. <laughs> yeah, the there was a, yeah, there was a firewall put up between um, Waltham and Boston, and it's called, um, <laughs> what's that little town over there? But anyway, um, <clears throat> so when you begin to think about this road and this framing your study of, of philosophy, what, was the, what were your core objectives? Um, well... <laughs> When I first started, I didn't really know. I just needed to learn so much because I didn't study this stuff in high school. So I just needed to kind of get my feeling, my head around the arguments. And I have a pretty good head for arguments. Um, uh-huh. I didn't know that until I got into college, but I have a pretty good head for arguments. And so just in taking all of these arguments, and then after a year of just intaking and taking and taking arguments, I started to apply them to problems that I didn't see my colleagues or my professors applying them to. 
And there are uh-huh. problems what, that had to do with black life and black suffering. Uh-huh. And, and I think it's important, like, in clarifying some of these comments, uh, these, these uh, presuppositions that my colleagues and my professors would take for granted about, you know, questions that deeply affect black life and cause black suffering. And so I just started trying to figure out why it is that we think it's okay to starve black schools. Why do we think it's okay to have lead in water that, that's, in, that's in black communities? Why do we, like, what stories do we tell ourselves that uh, this is somehow legitimate? So I started thinking about legitimation and like, how do we legitimize some of our decisions and our actions or inactions? And then this very odd thing happened my senior year that pretty much sold it for me. Um, during my senior year, there was a horrific case in, in Las Vegas where a young woman was uh, assaulted and killed in a bathroom. And um, the person who did that was an 18-year-old who had just graduated. Uh, the woman was, uh, the young girl, actually. She was eight years old. And, and the person who did that was 18 years old. And the friend who was with him was also 18 years old. And the friend who was with him then came on to Berkeley. And so I was a senior at that time, and, and, and this kid who was an accomplice or somehow an associate to this murderer was on campus, and yet he was going through what I, like he was going through chemical engineering or something like that. And um, like wh- what kind of education do we value in these United States that like promotes that kind of behavior? Like, what is it to be educated if you're not going to stop your friend from, from, from assaulting and killing a little girl like that? So I started thinking about problems in education and how do we educate our citizenry to be responsible and where do we fall off? And, where, and I look at even the questions today about what makes a good school. Well, test scores. What test do we give our children that makes them a good Samaritan? What test? Like, how is that one of our national priorities? And should it be? I think it should be. And that means we're doing a lot of things wrong that it's not. Because that's not in the common core. That's not in, like, what we think of as a great student. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So these are the issues I think about. Um, and this is what led me to philosophy. And I think philosophy is helping me think uh, these issues through. Well, one of the things that I found um, – important in the work that you are doing on the web at thefunkyacademic.com is that you're taking on some very deep and pressing complex issues like integration and white supremacy, like whether or not black lives matter. And to top it off last, last, last week, I listened to one of your, you call them short videos to a funky dope beat, but I listened like four times to your video in regard to what is freedom. And, you know, I listen to people all the time, and uh, since we have been so internet uh, intensive, I, I find that the broad scope of what people are thinking about is so available. 
so I, I, I wanted to talk to you and and have you talk about about freedom. some of these things and especially about freedom. But before we get into the discussion about freedom, one of the things that that I'd be interested in to hear you talk about is how you engage the broader public. I mean, I, I always say to Tommy Curry, no, you got you you had to be in a shed at a lake to think about this stuff when I read his his <laughs> writings. <laughs> you couldn't have been around other people. Um but he is also a debater and it gives him the opportunity to expand and respond to the public. How do you do that in your studies? Uh, what is the political platform you're trying to develop within the philosophical field that you're creating? Uh, it's hard. I do a lot of talking to myself, and it's a little bit <laughs> – I have a two-year-old, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, so I do a lot of talking to them. They know all about freedom and rights and justice. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, it's, I know it's, about it's that. Actually hard. Yeah, it's it's hard finding a discourse. That's one of the things I'm trying to build with the website, thefunkyacademic.com. I'm trying to build a community, and I'm trying to raise the level of the sea around these issues. Um, and so I'm doing my best that way to raise the level of the sea around these deep issues because I think like one of the reasons why I feel like in my mind um, that for example, black people went with Clinton as opposed to Sanders is because we don't talk about public goods. We don't talk about them. We don't talk about the importance of what you lose when you lose um, public schools. Like we don't talk about the, what you lose when you lose public goods. We don't talk about the fact that a celebrity fundraiser is not going to fix lead in your water. You need a government that works. You need a government <laughs> that works to provide public goods. And we need a government that works. Like celebrity fundraisers and private grants, they don't do the work of government. But there's no place on the radio except for very small um, um, places like, like Our Common Ground that talks about the importance of public goods. No, like Oprah's not going to write a check to get the lead out of your water. That's not the way it works. You need a bill. You need legislation. You need, you need massive amounts mm-hmm. of money, not a John Legend fundraiser. And so... Um, well, my, response to, my response to that is that you've got to start, number one, facing the idea that we are electing morons in, into, <laughs> in, into government leadership. Yeah, you've met and them, the, have you? Uh, pardon me? Oh, yeah, I have met them. And they are and, – and, and it does not look good. <laughs> I have been saying on the airways for many, many years – you got to know these people and listen to who they are and where they came from. And they co- couldn't possibly think their way out of a brown paper bag. I'll give no. you an example, and many people are gonna, out there are going to get really pissed off at me again, and it's okay. <laughs> John Lewis still hasn't learned to speak English after 30-some years in Congress. His enunciation, <laughs> his... His 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 vocabulary level is like around fourth grade. 
and I'm picking on John Lewis because it's so apparent. But right. the others are, are not so apparent yeah. unless you talk to them one-on-one because the people who are doing the government's work are young people who are being hired out of universities and they have like two years of ex- – one year of – five years of experience at best. Okay. And they are creating the policy. They are influencing your the government, the elected officials about what should be. So I'll, I'll, that, that's just a point I wanted to make because I think it's really important for us to believe that we are not beggars when we ask our government to be responsive to the needs of the exactly. people who pay taxes. Right. And look, the reason why black people are poor in these United States is because of our government. <laughs> like, we've been locked out of wealth. So it's not too much to ask the government to guarantee us services like water. That's the government's job. <laughs> it's the government's job. It's, we need to make claims on our government to do its job and expect our government to be responsible to us. It's responsible to a whole lot of people who don't look like us, but it's not responsible to us. And black people, it's okay if we make claims on our government to be responsible to us. It's not just about symbolism. And, and, and that applies to our, our – it first applies to our school boards, who gets elected to school boards or who gets appointed by the mayor, who the mayor is, who the governor is, who is he appointing to be heads of departments. I mean, I spent 28 years in corporate America, and I know loads of people in government in critical and key positions, and they would not be able to pass the muster of the test for results in corporate America. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully if we educate the populace, the populace will demand more of our government and we'll get a government that at least works for us as well as it works for other communities in America. Because mm-hmm. the Bible works for some people. He just doesn't work for us as much as I would like. <laughs> I'm 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 glad you said that because I think that what the president has been very good at is pretending that he works for us or creating the fog that he works for us <laughs> because he says really yeah. nice things. Uh, Other people he, get legislation. They get bills. <laughs> we get songs yes. and nice things. Yes. And 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 you're right. I think that he has been very good at creating the veil, and so many of us have been his beard. Right. Oh, I'm taking that back. I ain't been his beard, so not so many <laughs> of us. So many of you. <laughs> right. I'm hey, look, not a lot of people are gonna. Way. A lot of people are going to wake up in January and think, wow, the last eight years have been nice, but I'm broke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm broke, mm-hmm. and I used to have a house. I don't have a house anymore. Exactly. What happened? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, even to the extent 
that if you look at, if you really go back and review eight years of his uh, political agenda, it hasn't been very different from George W. Bush. It's just been prettier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we talk so. about we, we talk about all these jobs. Nothing, nothing has changed. The folks in that created the Great Recession of the um, <clears throat> of 2003, 2004, 2005, nobody's gone to jail for that. If that had been me, I would be in jail. You would be talking to me from jail, ironically. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, but let's 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 get into this discussion uh, that you have. You you really have your 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 short video about what is freedom. Tell my audience exactly what you believe freedom is, and then we can pick okay, it apart. So, okay. So there are a lot of misconceptions about freedom. Um, like most things in the world, freedom has both a form and a content. And the form of freedom is choice. The content of freedom is the things you're choosing about. So like right now we think of freedom as in like, look, black people, you have a lot of choices in your life you didn't used to always have. Um, but now our choices kind of suck because we don't like our will – comes in the form of the choice, but our will needs to also come in the form of the material that we're choosing. So, for example, I mean, the, the, this presidential exa- uh, election is, is a good example. We have a choice now between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump um, to be you know, viable contenders for the next president of the United States. Some people will say, look, Americans, you're free. Obviously, you're free. You have a choice. To which I would say, yeah. But, like, I didn't pick. My will is not in the, the, the options I'm choosing. And that matters, right? If I, would, if I think that maybe it's a fair election, maybe if, the, if I thought the media was being honest in its portrayal of the candidates and we somehow arrived through a fair process that I thought I was being represented in and we arrived at Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, then maybe I would say, then, yes, I was free because my freedom is in the choice. And my freedom is in the material of what I'm choosing. But now, that's just not the case. I have the formal freedom, the illusion of freedom of choosing between two people that, um, excuse me, that, that do not represent my will at all through the process. Now, this is a fascinating um, and deep subject that I think is given its most clear expression when you look at um, women in abusive relationships. Uh, a philosopher at the University of Penn was saying that she came to think about freedom the first time she met someone or she started working in a shelter. And the woman in the shelter was like, look, either I lose my, I leave my husband who's abusive and I'll never see my kids. I have to always worry about my husband finding me wherever I am. Um, and, and, and harassing or assaulting me, or I go back with him in which case I get to protect my kids but I'll, be in, I'll still remain in abusive relationships. And yet people tell me, hold on, that's my daughter. Uh, that's okay. On the phone right now. We know about children. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm talking on the radio right now, so I'll be with you in one moment, okay? And your mom's coming in very soon. Do you need me to All take right, a so, break? Uh, yes, yeah, take one break and let me put my kids to bed. 
Okay. You're listening to Our Common Ground. We're with uh, Irami Osei from Pong and talking about this notion of freedom. Our number is 347-838-9852. And if you want to explore this whole this whole notion, because we have really, for as long as I can remember, declared that what we want is freedom. But as we talk about it, do we really know what we're asking for? I'm Janice Graham, 347-838-9852 with Irami Osei from Pong. We'll be right back while he takes care of his his um his 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 children and um when we come back and and have more from him, we'll also be talking with you. Thank you very much for again for being with us tonight at our common ground. I'm all about that. Promise we're not going to have boots on the ground, but now you got over a thousand soldiers. You know why there's going to be more? Because they're going to start killing some of those that we've already pulled there now. Because exactly. if you can't get 30,000 Shiites to stand their ground and they're fully armed, against a thousand Sunnis, and they drop their weapons, drop their uniforms, Drop the draws and run. What have you got? Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass. The Alpha Show. The Alpha Show. Fridays, 10 p.m. Just damn. Advanced political pushback. Talk radio on TruthWorks Network. Three Friday, he's all about politics. 10 p.m. TruthWorks Network. <laughs> the odds of this daughter of a clergyman spending 11 weeks at number one on the U.S. singles charts? One in 19 million. The odds of going on to win six Grammy Awards? One in 1.4 million. The odds of having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 150. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Yeah, 
freedom. <laughs> this is our common ground at three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. And with us tonight is uh Irami Ose from Pong, who is now an official our common ground interlocutor. Uh Doctor uh Irami, I wanna call you Doctor So Bad. When are you gonna be finished with this with this program? Well, I was out there at University of Chicago plantation for a year for a few years. Um so I got some of my PhD work there done, but now I'm writing um at the University of Georgia. So it's gonna be a few years. It's gonna be a okay. few years. And you got the children. I know that you're in charge tonight, and I should have warned our audience that uh, (laughs) children come first. I know about that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, My my, um, grandchildren um, had to be trained to be in the house while I'm broadcasting out of my studios here. Uh, so I understand that. And you're going to be doing a lot more radio, I, I think. So you gave the example. Oh, uh, yeah. Let me let me finish that example. Um, so you're a woman in a, in a domestic abuse shelter, and you have these awful choices. And people are going to tell you that you're free. You're obviously free because you have these choices. And that's just false. That's not like the choice to either abandon your kids to an abuser or go back to that abuser. That's not a meaningful freedom. That's not the kind of freedom that we, that, we, um, that we fight for and die for and send other people to fight for and die for. That's just choice. So the choice is not the same as freedom, and the difference is that in a free choice as opposed to a contrived, cho- a, a contrived choice, a free choice, your will is expressed both in the form, that is the choice, and in the content. And that's what we don't have as black people. Look, when you're a young woman um, and you grow up and you say, look, I want to go into radio. I want to be a broadcaster. And someone gives you a choice to either be a beautician or to go into the army. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. Freedom would be like you should have the choice. One of your options should be like putting you on the path to going into the radio. And as a black community, we are told (laughs) – Excuse me. We are told, individuals are told over and over and over again that their crappy choices are actually freedom. But really, they're just crappy choices. And we're made to feel bad because we don't feel good about these crappy choices. And every now and then, I think this is particular to the black community, but I think it might uh, extend to other uh, stigmatized communities. We actually get freedom, we actually get our will. Um, instantiated in both the options and like the con- in the fact of the options and in the content of the options. But if we make a mistake, it's 10 years. It's, it's, it's 15 years. So you can start a business, but if the business goes, 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 goes uh, sideways, it goes down, it's going to be 10 years until you, uh, until you pay off those loans, 15 years until you um, get another real free choice again. Whereas if you're Donald Trump, you start a business, if it goes down, boom, you file bankruptcy. The next moment, you get another real meaningful choice in your life. You can start a new business. You can do something else. So, like, black people, I want us to expecting more out of our choices and not fall for the fact or the appearance of choice as real freedom. 
Okay, let let let's talk about uh, some of the I, I some of the impediments that right. create that force us to take these crappy choices. Yeah, we have like that's not freedom when you have to choose between two things that have nothing to do with your aspirations in life. That's not freedom. That's choice. What are okay. the impediments? Now, there, well, uh, you, you know there are people out there saying, well, damn, that has to do with people making bad choices. But when your choices are limited or when they right. are contained by the, by the dictate of other things like capitalism, right. by bad public policy, by bad public elected officials, uh, then... It really isn't choice. Let's, so, so let's take this to public policy. Using your your example, public policy having to do with women who are victims of violence in their right. homes and in their relationships. So the option is to go to a shelter that has policies that become impediments to her becoming a whole person. Yeah, she can't see her kids anymore. She can't see her kids anymore. And so what are the policies? The policies are... So we have to think... Go ahead. Well, we have to think about uh, saying that, look, um, Miss, ma'am, you have a choice to go to a shelter, and then blaming her when she decides not to go to the shelter... Like, we can't say that she, like, that's somehow, like, she freely chose to stay with her abusive husband. No, like, she was constrained by circumstances. She was coerced by those circumstances into taking, like, an awful, an awful position. I mean, we need to try to work and, like, see what self-determination in her life looks like. Um, Mm -hmm. Work with her so she doesn't have, so she's not constrained by her circumstances, but she actually has some input into mm-hmm. these options she's forced to choose from. And that's what I want for black America. I want them to have input in the options that they're forced to choose from. And I'm, I also want them not to be punished for decades for making a wrong choice. Like, you shouldn't be punished like disproportionately. I don't think people know how many second, third, and fourth chances like a lot of white people get in their lives. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, yeah, I don't, mm-hmm. I, that's, that's constitutive of their freedom. They get to make, mm-hmm. they get to make a mistake and then come back and still have a meaningful choice. Left uh-huh. them I, I, a, a good example is around predatory lending, payday loans. Exactly. Be- exactly. Because when black people uh, are disproportionately forced to take high interest loans, whether it be a mortgage, whether it be a personal loan, whether it be a business loan. Exactly. And they and they and there is a an impediment that they are not cannot access those things which white people make available. A good a good example is right. what happened in the example. foreclosure crisis. 
one of the reasons that black people couldn't get from under the crisis of and the tragedies of of foreclosure is because they had such high interest rates on their properties they couldn't up uh, uh, they were underwater because of the interest rates because they couldn't get into programs but then you had HARP come along which was a bailout program for people who were losing their homes to foreclosure because of the uh, marketing the market crisis but it was white people who had the interest rates on those mortgages that could be adjusted and fixed where black people didn't have that choice exactly Exactly. So you're locked in to a bad deal, and it's like it, it changes your life. It locks you into a series of choices that could take a whole decade out of your life because you wanted to start a business or you wanted to, to take out a loan to, like, make a move. And that's just not exactly. that's just not, that's not but, life. But, but you see, one of, the, one of the things where you are important and people like you are important is to force us to do critical analysis of the problems that we are facing. Uh, there is a lot of criticism about young black people who are dropping out of high school. But if we're not fixing the schools and the only option that they have is to get the hell out of there because, one, they're not uh, able to compete uh, exactly. academically that they have home, you know, let's go back to the, I want to go back to this example uh, in terms of public policy and the critical analysis of the issues of especially poor women who go to shelters. I was a volunteer in a shelter four nights a week for almost 14 years. I mean, it was like my second job in in a shelter here in Boston. And you are absolutely right in your example that many of those women had to abandon their children in order to save their lives. And then some people will say, well, you know, you had a choice. You're the one who chose to do that. But, you know, that's not true, or at least it's not simple. But if we go to public policy and there is a policy that says you cannot get federal money or you cannot get state money, Unless you provide family day, uh, family shelters, you just can't corral a whole bunch of women who have to abandon their children. They should be able to bring their children to the shelter, and there should be a temporary home for the, that woman and her children. That's public and policy. And that would be a policy. That would be a policy that actually gave these women freedom as opposed to just choice. Exactly. Like, actually, now let's be, go. Yeah. Good. They gave them choices that made sense for their to lives them. not to be totally right. destroyed. But it goes right. to folks, and I want people to hear me very carefully. It goes yeah. to the war against poor people. Right. So if you have an elected official who is unwilling to see this clearly, that this is not freedom, 
providing a shelter for 85 women, and they're all women who 20% of them have had to leave their families and their children in order to be safe. The other is the public policy about how we deal with batterers. I'm very hard on this issue, Arami, because I personally know four women who fled and because they were trying to figure it out for their children, they died. They died because the shelter closed during the day, and at 7 o'clock in the morning, they had to get up and go somewhere. Two husbands determined to hurt, killed two women that I saw four days a week, waiting around the corner from the shelter because and then she people had say, to leave. People say, well, she made a choice. Exactly. She could have said, but that's, exactly. that's not true. It's not true. Oh, if that's and a then, choice, that's not freedom. And, and then we have these, these moments, like the moment that we had the day after Alton Sterling and Philandro Castile were murdered by police where people started thinking about the question of police brutality, abuse, and extrajudicial killings. But that was just a moment. It was a moment. And we have elected officials who will show up, you know, like um, sometimes I, I can just, I won't pull my hair out, but I feel like pulling my hair out. When you have these things, these community things where people are saying all this stuff, um, Rahm Emanuel, not Rahm Emanuel, uh, him too, but um, congressperson from Baltimore. He shows up in Baltimore after Freddie Gray has been murdered by police and and the unrest and the eruption is going on as though he had never heard of Baltimore before that moment. Mm. So yeah. you're you're absolutely right that we have to, you know, one of the things that I think about is why people think about this stuff differently because they are entitled. And we have to well, start thinking of... they have a government, of, government that works for them. Right. They have and a government that works for them. we have to start thinking of ourselves as entitled to be entitled. Yeah. I agree. I agree. We shouldn't be and, begging and, for clean water. Yes. Flint is another example. The people in Flint knew there was a problem for two years before one brave woman decided she was going to investigate, and she did, and she wouldn't stay quiet. Because you know what? She had a sense of freedom. And in freedom, you find the bravery to, to... Execute your obligation. And maybe that's And not the obligations that are given to you, the ones you see and the ones you see and you will and you do that. Not what people tell you to do or what you like these bad choices that other people give you, but ones that you've informed and you've negotiated. Yes. Absolutely. And and you know, like one of the things that um, 
I, I like to I, I like to I collect black photography. I have I have literally a couple of hundred um coffee table books and I've started <laughs> publishing my own coffee table books. Crap I steal off the internet. <laughs> I put them in these books and have them published. And but but if you look at the faces of our people then you then you simply have to conclude that there is no spirit of freedom in us. No. No. I mean, I'm, I'm, I must we... I must say, even the Black Lives Matter protesters uh, at the beginning in Ferguson and St. Louis, when Black Lives Matter, the women who were standing up and taking over Bernie Sanders and taking over whoever they were taking over, even right. in their faces, there wasn't a glint of freedom as you see it in the faces of other Americans, white Americans particularly, yeah. as though they they own the joint. Yeah. You don't see it. You know, they, exactly. exactly. Yeah, you don't see it in Donald our Donald Trump will go bankrupt and still feel like he owns the place. Hillary Clinton yes. will go, like, <laughs> she will lie to the whole world, yet still walk around like she owns the place. That's mm-hmm. just not where we're at right now. We we get to choose between options that are not of our design. <laughs> like that's the free that's the cheap freedom we have. It's just a choice between options that are not of our design. We're not in a place and we don't expect our government and our world to actually design options for us to choose from. We just take whatever we're getting given and like choose between crappy options. And, like, I want us to be, as a people, to demand our government to negotiate the content of our choices as opposed to just giving us um, bad choices and have us, like, have, and, like, tell us we're free as we pick between bad choices. Well, you know, one of the things that I want to explore with you, and we're at the top of the hour going into our, our second hour, our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. One of the things, Rami, that I want to explore with you is for a free black person, what is the political agenda in education, in economics? Where should where should our discovery of our own entitlement where should it land? And I know you're going to have to go to. You better go take those children and make sure that they're, they're no, not feeding the dogs some dishwasher <laughs> detergent or something. And I'm going to no, take no, a break. And when we come back, and I want, and I'm, I just want to give you a chance to go check them uh, before um, <laughs> they turn the place out. <laughs> <laughs> because I know that can happen. And um, we're going to go to a break, and I want to remind everyone uh, that we are talking with Irami Osei Frimpong tonight about freedom. And and it really takes an assertion of critical analysis to, to understand whether or not we are really free. 
And, you know, and you all could call your white friends if you want to and tell them that they come on vote because some of them really uh, are not free. They might be entitled. They might be privileged. But there are some things that go on in this country that makes none of us free. Go check your children, Irami, and we'll be right back after this break. This is our common ground, and I'm so glad to have you with us tonight. A young slave boy stood one day before the greatest ruler of his day, and God said to Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses said, Lord, only I've got a stick, that's all. He said, well, let me use what's in your hand. And God used that slave boy with a stick in his hand to divide the Red Seas, march through a wilderness, bring water out of rocks, manna from heaven, and bring his people to freedom land. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? George Washington Carver, who was so frail that he was traded for a broken down horse as a slave boy. And George Washington Carver, sitting in the science laboratory at Tuskegee, told me, he said, Dr. Powell, he said, I just go out on the fields each morning at 5 o'clock, and I let God guide me. And I bring back these little things and work them over my laboratory, and that man did more to revolutionize the agricultural science of peanuts and of cotton and sweet potato than any other human being in the field of agricultural science. What's in your hand? Just let God use you, that's all. What's in your hand? I've got a string in my hand, that's all, and I'm flying a kite. And way up in the heavens, lightning strikes it. And I, Benjamin Franklin, discover for the first time the possibilities of electricity with a string in my hand. What's in your hand? Little hunchback sitting in a Roman jail. I haven't got anything in my hand but an old quill pen, but God says, write what I tell you to write. Paul Rope, I have run my race with patience. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And taught this later on. of my people are great and big and more numerous than we are. Well, little David, go down to the brook and pick out a few stones and come on back and close your eyes if you want to and pull back that slingshot and let it go. And David killed the biggest enemy, the leader of the giants against his people, and his people became free, just letting God guide a stone in his hand. And a few years passed and David is a king. And God says, what's in your hand? He said, I've got a harp in my hand. He said, well, David, play on your harp. And he played, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Taketh me to lie down in green pastures. Leadeth me beside still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley and the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Man hanging on a cross. I've got two nails in my hand. Father. I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdrawest thyself from me, whither shall I go? And that man, with two nails in his hand, split history in half, B.C. and A.D. And what's in your hand tonight, people of Cambridge? You've got God in your hand, and he'll let you win, because he's on your side, and one with God, 
always in the majority. So walk with them and talk with them and work with them and stick together and fight together. And with God's hand in your hand, the victory will be accomplished here sooner than you dreamed, sooner than you hoped, sooner than you prayed for, sooner than you imagined. Good night and God bless you. That was Reverend Adam Clayton Powell. No matter what, know your value. No matter what, know you matter. The I Declare Show, home of Real Raw Right Now Talk Media. I Declare Show is where we deal with the difficult, real raw, right now. The I Declare Show, Real Raw Right Now Talk Media. I Declare the I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m. I'm Janice Graham, and I declare it's real, raw, and right now, the I Declare Show with India Declare. That what we see before our eyes, the sky is green and the grass is blue. But one thing you can't deny, these people are sabotaging this economy, and people are sabotaging this country. Nothing comes to a sleeper but a dream. Drilling down. Just damn. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. This is Alpha, hosting the best of Pushback Talk Radio. The Alpha Show, returning July 11th. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Grant. Thank you for your support of independent black media. I'll be listening for you. each Saturday night here at Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Yeah, we're trying to make it funky tonight here at Our Common Ground with Irami Osei from Pong and with you, and thank you for being with us. Our number is 347 don't forget to join the I Declare show on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. with India Declare, bringing it real raw and right now. And, of course, on Friday nights, you got to be. It's a Friday night fight on TruthWorks Network with the Alpha show. Um, in our conversation tonight, what we're trying to establish 
is the notion that we have to believe that understanding freedom is essential to getting it, to demanding it. We can march, we can sing, we can do all those things. But unless we understand what it is, we're just going to keep on being terrorized and keep on deluding ourselves that we are free when, in fact, all of us are sitting around. I know yesterday uh, I was, you know, in a conjury, uh, uh in this kind of place I was in driving my 14-year-old grandson, who all of you know, I love to the moon and 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 I don't ever come back. And he wanted to go play basketball at a community center. And uh we allow his mother and father allow him to do that and it's one where we have created relationships with the people who run it. They know we don't want no crap uh that <laughs> they are to keep an eye out on him. But I was still nervous. And uh, I hope he's not listening because he usually listens to the show. But I want to tell you, I was so glad when I got there and they had a volleyball tournament going on and there was no basketball and and he didn't want to stay. I was glad when he got back to hell back in the car because <laughs> this is this is a time in which we're all vulnerable. Right. We are all vulnerable. But we shouldn't be. And we shouldn't be. That shouldn't be an option. Am I right, uh, Arami? It shouldn't be an option. I agree. I agree. And that's not a real option. If you're scared, that's not a real, that's not a meaningful option. We have this narrative in the black community, which I think is, is, isn't, it's not our fault, but it's, it's there, that success means getting out. Getting out. Oh, now. In too many black communities, you got food deserts. You got public schools that shouldn't be what they should be. You got maybe lead in your water. Somehow, success means getting out of that neighborhood or that community. And that's like, so we're in a, so you're 18 years old, the 21 years old, and success means leaving your friends and family, leaving your, your network of support, leaving all of those things that make meaning in your life just to go someplace else where maybe you have access to grocery stores and maybe you have better public schools or whatever, but you don't have any people. You don't have any friends. And so like you have a choice between two crappy options and that's not freedom. That's not Mm -hmm. like both of those choices are not appropriate. Like uh, the policy answer is building up the black community, getting incentives like tax incentives and grants to put grocery stores and to, to fund the schools in the black community. So you shouldn't be um, given the awful choice of either fleeing the black community in the name of success or staying there and being <clears throat> destitute of resources. Like, if that's the choice and people are saying you're free because you have that choice, like, our response should be, no, that's a choice, but that's not freedom. I need more substance if you're going to call it freedom. <laughs> like, I don't want mm-hmm. any of these. Like, you can tell me that's a choice, but, like, I, no, that's just not true. That's the form of freedom. That's a choice, but that's not content. That, none of these contents, 
have anything that I want in them. And you're not negotiating with me to get me like grocery stores in the black community or better schools in the black community. So like saying either go off and be alienated in the suburbs or stay here and like not have a grocery store, that's a choice, but that's not freedom. Mhm, mhm. You know, it, and it's really interesting. And here is the the game that gets played: um, is that uh, we are confronted in the in the black communities, especially uh, in the inner city, where there's so much gentrification going on. It's, I mean, Brooklyn is uh, less black. <laughs> are there still Harlem black people is in Brooklyn? Less black. Boston has no identifiable black community anymore. And one of the things that they do is they create the veil. Before the gentrification process begins, they put in a grocery store, and they say, and when I say they, I'm talking about elected officials and the politicians and the people who decide how your tax dollars should be spent, they say, oh, this is in response to uh, poor people not having a major chain grocery store in their neighborhood. So they put that in. And then they begin the process of breaking down contiguous black and brown neighborhoods uh, through their public policy. Um, that starving so schools, or is that? That is the process that we have to. Those are the lenses that we have to view what you call your freedom. <laughs> and if All you're right. not seeing I it sh- through those lenses, then you are as enslaved as we were 400 years ago. You're just being put into a different kind of chain and dragged off to someplace else because that's what gentrification is doing in our community. Instead of moving us from one continent to another continent, they're moving us from one neighborhood <laughs> to a neighbor, another neighborhood, and they're spreading us out like the the – like the Africans that were brought during the transatlantic slave, they didn't care if you were from East East Africa, West Africa, you got dropped off where they thought you ought to be dropped off, and that's what's happening to us today. That's what's happening. Right. And we call yeah, ourselves and a, Yeah, you could either but, stay in this neighborhood where you can't pay the taxes anymore, or you go where they tell you, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, you don't know anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the other part of it, too, uh, Rami, is that it ends up doing a number of things. One is that it destroys the collective spirit of our community. Yes. Uh, because we are so fragmentized. The other is it creates, it dissolves our political empowerment. If, I, you, I, I agree. if you understand what I'm saying, I, I'm yes. trying to bring it to some 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 real terms. Right. Because well, right now freedom, what I see, I what yeah, do you right see? now what I see, I see a war between the aspiring middle class blacks and the poor blacks, and that war is fostered by the government. 
The government wants us, Democrats and Republicans. The government does not want solidarity between middle class or aspiring middle class blacks and poor blacks. And well, that, it doesn't serve their purpose. Like that's why we don't have public goods. That's why people are pushing for charter schools as opposed to like fully funded public schools. It's a war between the middle class and the the poor black um, masses, and it's it's not good for the black community because we need each other. We need each other. And we, like, we and get, I see all like get, all we of do. These, we do, and all of these tests. You know how many tests a child has to take now just to prove that they're not stupid. Like, if you're a black kid, you have to take a series of tests for a decade just to prove that you're the Michelle Obama type of black and not like the other kind of black. Uh huh. And, and that's in, what the charter York, school, right? the and the charter for yeah. profit. Machine is doing in the inner city. Right, they're sorting. They're sorting black kids. They want to sort like the the winners from the losers, and they're saying black middle class. You better make sure your kid's one of the winners, because we're starving the losers. Exactly. Exactly. And the black middle class is going well. Okay, I guess I'll make my make sure my kid is one of the good ones, and they're not yep. saying no. This is a bunk system. No, I'm not going to be at war with my own people. You better fund all the schools. That's what our message should be. Okay. But Yeah, but instead we're just like, well, I've just got to make sure that my kid isn't one of those Negroes that starved in the, in the regular schools. And, and, and the, the absence of critical thinking about this is the way in which we have been deluded into thinking that we are not entitled. Because now yeah, that what no. they're saying is you have your choice. But the choice is that you take my tax dollars and you decide to use more of my tax dollars to educate children who are going to make it despite whatever it is. Right. I mean, when the charter school program uh, exploded here in Boston, and it's true across the same country. And I'll give you a, a, a personal example. My grandson, right. when he was in elementary elementary school, the beginning of middle school or whatever, um, right. he was scoring in the 99 percentile on the oh, standard test. All yeah. the charter schools were knocking themselves out <laughs> recruiting him. But yeah. we had other friends who were literally bribing people to their children into certain charter schools. I mean, it's this is a kind of interfractualization that has they been like going it on. Way. Exactly, and they love it that they way. Like it. They love it. They love it. Um, and then yeah, I'll introduce something else that has come into this is that in most inner cities you have a great deal of especially Caribbean and African immigrants who are accustomed to the British uh, structure and uh, values of education. 
and they see this this charter school for profit school kind of thing as such an advantage right and so in a place like Boston where you have lots of uh immigrant voters everybody's voting for all the charter schools to take over the whole place and pretty soon what will happen is that the 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 traditional public school will be minimal yeah and who's and It'll who's going to be there a bunch of kids who didn't get into the other schools exactly it's going to be poor black kids who didn't get into the schools. Yeah, yeah, they're, and they're going to know at 8, 9, 10, 12 years old, they're going to know this entire city thinks I'm a loser and nobody's investing in me. We think mm-hmm. that these kids don't know, but they know. They know. Like, they might not score, you know, in the 95th percentile of the test, but they know that the adults in charge of their life have, for, have forsaken them. You know, and that's... And, and- Go ahead. No, and and that's just a shame. So I want the black community um, to not forsake these kids because they're our kids. And, you know, my dad's an immigrant from from Ghana, and my mom is from South Carolina, so I get it from from both uh, sides. And I do know that, look, immigrants don't come here with social justice on their mind in order to help the descendants of slaves. That's not why they left wherever they left. That's, that's not their mission, right? Like, they're here to, like, get a piece and make a score, uh, like, in America. They're not here to come here and all of a sudden, like, grasp for solidarity with the descendants of slaves. Um, but we have to say, look, black people, we're all in this together, and nobody makes it until we all make it. Mm-hmm. You ain't made it until we all make it. That way, that when the person who makes it makes it, they're not lonely because <laughs> like they brought mm-hmm. everybody else with them. But like that mm-hmm. that notion that no, you haven't made it. Although you've scored and you've been to Harvard and whatever, you haven't made it until we all make it. That's actually, I think, what um, Jesse Williams was getting at in his, I thought, a pretty lovely speech he gave at BET. Uh, was that two weeks ago now? Um, I might be famous, I might be an actor, but I know that like I'm nothing until black people, all people, even those Negroes you think are losers that you starve their schools and put lead in their water. I'm not anything until those people are something, mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. recognized as something. Well, you know, one of the things that I think uh, is going on is that we have all got to find a place in which our resources can find sanctuary with us. Right. You know, for instance, we, <laughs> we've been doing a lot of talking about the role of the police and the history of the police, but in terms of black police officers, where do we find a place for them to be a resource to us and to retrain them and to give them the critical because they know they're not free. They know that. No, no, no. They're paid to be awful to black people. That's their job. They they know that. Um, that's their job. They might not want to do it, but that's where their paycheck is coming in. Mhm. But but the other part of it too is that 
I think that there are many black police officers who operate under some very oppressive conditions. Right, right. And we are all asking the question, where where are the black police? Why don't they tell the truth? Why don't they come out and step out? Well, we're going to be talking with Neil Franklin of Leap about that. He's a former sergeant in head charge at a Maryland State Police Department. And one of the reasons is we have not provided them a place to go. Okay. A place to seek us out. A place to join hands with us in this campaign to find our own freedom and have our own set of entitlements and our and the and our and our natural agency as citizens in this country. Our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. If you're just joining us, we are in a discussion with uh Arami Osei from Pong. He is the editor of the com, and you should check it out. And we're talking about this elusive thing uh, and sometimes delusional thing called freedom. Right. You know, we'd be singing, I mean, eye on the prize, and if I'd rather be dead in my grave than be whatever, and I want my freedom, freedom now. And we really don't know. See, here's here, here's my point, Arami. Right. If you don't know what freedom is, you can't seek it, or and you exactly. cannot authentic, authenticate whether you have it or not. It's got to be more than choice. It's more than choices. Black people have choices. None of them are good. Or if you have a choice and look, one of the options is good, if it goes badly, you don't have any more choices for 15 years. You just now took out a loan to make a move and with a 15% credit uh, or uh, interest or whatever, like you're done for two decades. You had one yep. free choice in your or, life when you were 20. Or you're, you're, not or gonna you're get victimized by, by employment discrimination and you get fired. Right. You, you had one wait. free choice. That's right. You may never you ever have that, that kind of job that. again. <laughs> That's uh, it. You know, it's so like if, it's, your free, if your freedom is that fragile, well, you get one you get one shot every fifteen years, every twenty years, and uh, I'll give, like, give you a good a good example. Um, back in my young fiery days. Right. Uh, I was a resident of Brookline, Massachusetts, and every time I pulled out of my driveway, if I got two blocks, now I lived behind the governor of Massachusetts, the Commonwealth, (laughs) and every time I pulled out of my driveway, if I got two blocks away from my house, um, there was always a Brookline, Massachusetts cop who followed me. It had to do with the kind of vehicle I was driving. It was a Mercedes. It was a very large Mercedes. <laughs> and after maybe about 
couple of months of this, I got really tired. So the cop was behind me. I drove to the police department, got out of my car, and started having a discussion with the man at the counter. And he wasn't hearing hearing what I was saying. And I blasted off in a rage and picked up, you know how they have all these little brochures, say bicycle safety and all that stuff. I picked up all that shit and just threw it at him. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I had an arm full of shit and I just threw it. Done, and right? <clears throat> so two officers ran around the counter and held me. Well, you know, I had been manhandled by police doing the other fiery part of my life. So I wasn't, <laughs> you know, and, and they weren't killing people. They weren't killing people in the police department at that time inside the police station. So I wasn't worried about getting killed, but I was worried about being hurt. And I took my Louis, Louis Vuitton bag uh, and I covered it over my face, and they couldn't get the bag out of my hands. And we were kind of wrestling with the bag and the na na na. So they filed an incident report, a detain what is called a detainment report. It took okay. me two years to get that report sealed because if somebody really wanted to hurt me. Uh, I, if somebody really wanted to hurt me, take my law license or whatever. Um, right. I could really get burned behind this. I was an executive. I was a senior executive <laughs> in a Fortune 500 company, 300 company, a major Massachusetts corporation. And I, I just I couldn't, you know, so it took right. me, and you know, about... And as long as that's on your record... Exactly. As long as that's on your record, you're like, on a, you're nervous. <laughs> exactly. Like that's... In limited, like, somebody could really ram me up against a wall with a detainment record. And that is what black people face. If they hadn't fucking been following me, all, uh, exactly. following me and harassing me, it never would have happened. Yeah. You know, yeah, and no, we I... all have those incidents over there in Watertown where you used to be. <laughs> you know, um, a man, uh, a, a drunk Irish crazy man bumped into my daughter, and she was around seven years old, and he didn't say excuse me or anything. And right. I said, excuse me. This is in this grocery store in one of them stopping shops, Star Market or something. And and he didn't. And, and he said uh, something about nigger. Well, I clown like a mofo in that yeah. grocery store, and you should have seen me get into my Mercedes with my with my little. Uh, I even left the groceries in the cart, and 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 when I got in the car, my daughter said to me, "Mom, what happened?" I said I had to get out of there before uh, right. the ice cream melted. <laughs> right. Yeah. But what I was doing was I was leaving before they were able to call the police. Right. And that is what black right. people that would have, been have to do. Exactly. Been they would they have arrested me. They would have taken, they would have, that would have started with the arrest, but oh, then just, they would have taken your law license. And then they, you go to your job and they would have been like, well, you know, maybe you're not a good fit for this company. 
I know. I, I, I missed the part where I took my Louis Vuitton bag and knocked him across his head after he yeah, said Yeah, you nigger. left that part out. I left that part out. I mean, but those are, these are the kinds of things that take away your options, and when they take away your options, it destroys your life, and it really gets you it. to the point. Yes, it gets you to the point where you understand you are not free because I would have been the point rather than the man calling my little girl a nigger. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so what I was talking the, about before at the beginning, real quickly, what I was talking about before at the beginning about someone like Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, they can make those mistakes. Hillary Clinton can lie, lie, lie. It's not mm-hmm. going to get in their way. Donald Trump can can go bankrupt the next day he can go get a loan for a few hundred million dollars. Like that's freedom. That's freedom where you have choices, but you also, your will is in the content of those choices. You actually like, you're not subject to the external world. You can negotiate with the external world. There's no negotiating when you are with the cop. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and and, you know, like we're faced with, um, Fada, um, What's a congressman from Pennsylvania who has been indicted for uh, misappropriation of uh, election funds? Uh, And then there's Corrine Brown, who is my friend, Corrine Brown, who is now facing 21 counts of fraud. Bobby Rush, too. Bobby Rush. uh, Bobby Rush. (laughs) How how is it that all of those people get caught, but none of the others ever get caught? That's what I want to know. Yeah. It uh, is a shadow of this topic that we're talking tonight. They are free. They are free to fragile. be fragile. Yes. Bobby Rush is fragile. You thought Bobby Rush, he's been there forever. He would be stable. No. In one moment, like his whole career, like Corrine Brown, like they're, they're fragile. Whatever they have is yes. fragile. If you're that fragile, you're not free. Yep. If you're that fragile. You know, and, if you were one, ho- I was just saying, if, if you were one phone call away from losing your law license, like that can't be freedom. Like if you're one, like, oh, that's, that's not it. And and then there are people out there who are thinking, well, those are choices that people make, individual choices. Those are black moments. Yes. From you were choices. standing up for Negroes all over the world in that moment. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You were standing up for Negroes all over the world. Thank you. And I'm glad you didn't get caught, but, but thank you. <laughs> Well, um, actually, um, I got my moment uh, in Brookline. I went to town council meeting. Okay. Okay. Um, Because I had been keeping a journal uh, of the license plates number of the uh, Brookline Police Department that was following me. Okay. And I'm sure they thought I was in their nice little white white town to sell drugs or something. Yeah. You know, it's it's the same thing like nobody uh bothered to find out 
who Alton Sterling was before they wrestled him to the ground and right. murdered him by shooting him through the chest and the back. Our number is 347-838-9852 here at Our Common Ground if you'd like to join us in this discussion. Uh, let's talk, Rami, uh, just a little about the notion of how people have to begin to clarify in their thinking about this notion of being free. Well, we need to think about freedom as something that's more than just in your mind. A lot of people think, well, I'm free because no one controls what I think. But that's silly. Freedom, like freedom has to be in the world also. Someone who thinks they're free just because their mind is free is like someone who flaps their arms and says that they're flying just because they want to be flying. No, like you want something substantive. So you're free when the world plays along. You're free when you don't have to worry about, you know, losing your law license for having a black moment. That's when you're free. You're free when you don't have to choose between either staying in your community but not having any public resources or going to a different community where you have public resources, but you don't have any of your people. Like, you're free when you negotiate with the world and the world plays along with your aspirations. And not in some fragile way where, like, you get one chance, and if you blow it, you're not getting another chance for another 25 years. (laughs) Um, mm-hmm. Because you're paying off debt or anything like that But like in a systemic way Where like I have choices And even if I make the wrong choice I haven't forfeited my freedom I might have to take a year off I might have to pay off some debt or whatever But like It's not going to cost me a decade My 20s Because like I took out a loan That now I can't pay for And so I'm not going to be able to try to start a business now Until I'm 40 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some people who are listening to us who who, who are thinking, to, I hope they're thinking to themselves, uh, that they would love to be free to be as stupid and dumb at their jobs as most of the people around them. Yeah. No, this is a good story. All right, so I was talking to my friend about I had a black moment, you know, said something, standing up for Negroes all over the world, and, um, you know, was let go from my job. So I was talking to my friend about my uh, – my my story about getting fired and my friend is white and so i was saying yeah i got fired because you know i said this isn't right and it affects black people disproportionately and they said i wasn't a good fit and he tells me his story about getting fired and you know what he did to get fired he was doing cocaine in the company bathroom so (laughs) what i'm saying is like what you did and what I did are not the same thing. <laughs> You're a yes. degenerate. <laughs> like, like, that's what it takes for you to use a job. Whereas for me, like, all I had to do was stand up for black people. Like, that's not the same thing. So if that you even think that's the same thing means that, like, you're living a whole different kind of world that I'm living in. Like, mm-hmm. you were doing cocaine in your office bathroom. Like, that's awful. You need to get away from my kids. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I don't know know if you saw it, but there was a video that went around on the Internet uh, this week, and it was a police officer serving a a warrant for a Michael Carter or somebody, and he came up to the address of the warrant, and there was a young 
man sitting in a car in front of the house, and um, they tasered this man, and they they ask him he they ask him a question about who he was, and at first he didn't want to answer, and his and his response was, "Why are you asking me who I am?" Yeah. And the police officer answered, "Because we have this warrant." And he finally answered and said, "My name is Patrick." And um, after a while, uh, after they tasered him, and he was the the victim of the, this police misconduct and abuse, was saying to him, yeah. "We ask you for your ID." In the video, that the police never ask him for his ID, never right. ask him for any ID. Right, I don't lied, know. Did you right? see this? Did you see this video? I saw the video. I saw the video actually, and they just lie, like not even close to being. That's right. We are not yeah. free to lie. No. Even no. The, even the black police not free to lie. No. Uh, I saw. I, I heard an audio of another thing where uh, in New York City Police Department, a captain was pressing a black police officer on the force why he wasn't arresting enough black that's awful and he was trying to explain and instead of saying because i didn't find any black men who were guilty of anything (laughs) he was trying to you know and i'm saying to myself my god this is exactly what irami osei from pong is talking about in terms of we are not free even the black police can't lie but the white police can lie (laughs) Like a line, get a second, third chance and exactly, yeah, Ex- exactly. And we're not like challenging. We need to have we we need to have two things in my mind uh, on this march toward freedom. Uh, and the march is no longer uh, the march over the Selma Bridge. The march is over your own bridge. Your personal bridge, your bridge in your neighborhood, your bridge in your city, your bridge right, in the schools right. where your where your children um, uh, attend. And and the first thing we have to be committed to is not allowing, and I hate to use the word them, but them in quotes to say I didn't know. Right. That's the first strike. Oh. Uh... Don't you think? Not allowing not it. Like you're talking about, like off the, the hook. Because apparently teachers, let's say, apparently teachers have a bad habit of suspending black boys, right? So yeah. you run into this teacher and you say, look, I, I looked at your record over the last four months and it, it, you have a bad habit of suspending black boys. And what's the teacher going to say? Well, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, didn't, I didn't. I never noticed. <laughs> I never, I, I never know, noticed. It's special for parents who are with these uh, charter schools and these charter schools want to think that they're so progressive. There should be a review committee for all suspensions and all um, um, whatever you call those things That's where crazy. you yeah. punish the children. <laughs> uh-huh. Disciplinary actions. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, because what they're going to say is, oh, well, I never noticed. No, no, no. They're going to say, well, I never noticed that I was only punishing black kids. I never noticed. I didn't Uh know. 
the second thing I want to say in order for us to become free is that we have to have a better system and network of intelligence. And by that, yeah. I mean, for instance, black cops who want to tell us the real story. Right. Um, my audience knows that I've been working with a group of black anti-gang prevention, anti-gang intervention uh, officers here in Boston in helping them establish a programmatic approach to the work that they do outside of the police department and then trying to interject it inside the police department because they they essentially think the police department uh, protocol is is bad. It's not helping. Um, so we have to have a better network of people who can inform us. You know, it, it's just like uh, what happened to the American CIA U.S. intelligence in Turkey? Why didn't it tell the man the ship was going to get defended? <laughs> that was my first response. I'm sorry. That was my first response. Wait a minute. This is one of our closest allies in NATO, and the CIA didn't tell them the ship was going to happen? <laughs> what the hell happened there? And why? But anyway, we need to have black teachers and social workers, government workers, like working together. I tell you, I tell all the government business. <laughs> I tell anybody that would listen. <laughs> I tell it all. Our problem is we don't think the government should work for us. And I'm saying we're not going to get real freedom any other way. Like, People who think we don't need government, yes, you do. You need government for police that works for you, not against you. You do need police. You just need them to work for you. You need a government that will guarantee you water. Like, you can't do that on your own. No do-for-self Negro is going to be able to, like, make their own water. This is why we have government. Like, we need a government that works for us, and we, as a people, need to not be so scared or alienated from our government to actually expect it to work for us. Exactly. And we need to stop being afraid of this word. One of the things that you hear white supremacists say all the time, that they are proud to be an American. What they mean is that they are proud to live, eat, breathe, sleep, <laughs> and be free. Yeah. That's what they mean. Yeah. And yeah, that's not as it. we are under siege by this by this police state, by what is turning into and I'm telling you all, if Donald Trump becomes your president, you're gonna have real fascism. If Hillary Clinton becomes <laughs> your pre president, you're gonna have some fascism. <laughs> Neither one of them will <laughs> that's be. Exactly, that's, I think that's that's uh, that's that's as accurate as anything I've heard today. <laughs> I mean, and it ain't gonna be pretty. I am reserving my crap for to get the hell on out of Dodge yeah. <laughs> if Donald I mean, Trump becomes president. Yeah. I yeah. will be broadcasting yeah, no, from St. Kitts or Madagascar. <laughs> I will not be I will not be broadcasting from the B 
bean town anymore. Because <laughs> it's not going to be pretty. And so our illusions are not going to save us. No, no, no. You're going to have all of these choices, and they're going to, they're, and none of these choices are going to be what you want. <laughs> like it's none of these choices. Do I, do I pay my light bill or do I pay my water bill? Because I can't pay both. That's not mm-hmm. a choice you want to be in. That's for, you know, that, that's not like if those are your I choices. Mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to 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 go out on the limb here. But we're going to see that the care of our elderly people, the care of disabled people, the care of poor people is going to deteriorate quickly. Yes. To a depth that we have never known as a country because people like Donald Trump and people like Hillary Clinton do not believe. It's not that they don't understand. They do not believe that that is government's role. Exactly. All you got to so do gonna is have go black back and have... look at what Hillary Clinton did on the CHIPS program. Yeah. Uh, back in the 80s or 90s or whenever it was, in the 90s. 90s, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And so you're going to have black people saying, do I, do, I pay for, do I pay for my parents' medicine or do I pay for my kids' books? Those are my That's choices. Right. And then you're going to have white right. liberals saying, and if your well, child you has to go to the, if your child has to go to the dentist, it's the worst dentist on in the, in the city, right? Uh, or to a doctor, it's going to be uh, level 18 care. Right, right. So we're going to have. If you get cancer under Trump. And Clinton, right? You better be be able to pay the bad. When I had cancer, I had I had I had to buy four pills that I had to take specially. Okay. If I hadn't had decent health insurance, I would have had to pay twelve thousand dollars for four pills. <laughs> When, okay, when, so they, when 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 I got to the I had to go to a different pharmacy than I usually use and the man told yeah. me it was twelve thousand dollars, I said, You gotta be shitting me. I have to die. <laughs> this this is this is a, this is a death now for me because I'm not giving you twelve thousand dollars for four pills. No, really the choice is do I leave an inheritance to my kids or exactly. do I get my medicine? Like mm-hmm. that's the choice. And then some liberals will say, Well, you had a choice. Look, Janice, you had a choice. That's a choice yes. you made. Yes. <laughs> and and you know, and, 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 and that is what we're coming down to. I look at this Mike Pence man and Donald yeah. Trump. And I look at Ose and Use Trump, his sons. Oh, uh, okay. And, <laughs> oh, and, that's horrible. And, ba- and Barbie Trump, uh, whatever her name is, the the daughter. You leave Ivanka alone. She's all right. <laughs> no, the daughter. I called the daughter Barbie. The uh, the wife. Yeah, I yeah. don't know what to call her. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's we are already living in uncertain times, and one of the things is, is things 
that is important is that we have to go through this process of critical analysis of the crisis in front of us. And we cannot go with blinders thinking that somehow I'm a free citizen of the these United no. States of America. No, if you're fragile and you're scared and you're anxious and you're worried about your next diagnosis, you're a lot of things, but you ain't free. Right. Uh, Rami, I have so much enjoyed this. We're 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 we've got only a short uh time here at our common ground until next week. But thank you so very much for illuminating. I mean, most people don't think about freedom. They don't think about seriously about whether black lives matter. Don't forget to visit thefunkyacademic.com. It is posted in our chat room. Uh, It is also uh, highlighted in the event uh, reference page for this broadcast. Irami, I look forward to having you again. We can keep having these conversations. I'll keep learning from you, and you can. Oh, you thank have, you for having me. And and I hope that your children haven't baked cookies for the dog with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time, and thank you so very much. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. That was Irami Osei from Pong. It is the funkyacademic.com. Thank you all for for being with us tonight. Don't forget, for those of you who are listening from one of your smart devices, uh, right after the show we do play a little bit of music, and you will be able to hear it if you're in our chat room. You can dial up at 347-838-9852 and get on the board, and you'll be able to hear it at the close of this broadcast. We will be here next week. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to be doing, but we are always here every Saturday night. Thank you so very much for joining us. Don't forget, I'll be listening for you. Get Thank you for being with us tonight at Our Common Ground. We hope that you'll join us each Saturday night, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves. To contact us, email us at ocginfo at ourcommonground.com and visit our website, ourcommonground.com. Join us on Facebook and Twitter at Janice OCG, and I'll be listening for you. We are living in a nation faced with the possibility of war on multiple mental and physical levels. We got black wars against the police. We still got crack wars in the streets. Unemployment at its peak. Overcrowded cells in present day hell. Wars of Jews against Muslims over whether a created state is real. Wars over Western with Saddam. American politicians arguing over the difference between smart and dirty bombs instead of smart children in dirty schools. I feel like it's me against the world and I'm starting to get ill without even thinking of Kim Jong. 
though North Korea does have the world turning up on its accents right now. With these signs of the time in mind, I wake up every day asking myself one question, and it takes me no less than 24 agonizing hours to answer. Am I going to die today? I said, am I going to die today? I don't even bother watching my back anymore because I might get killed from the side today. Or maybe they get me in nuclear with bombs dropping from the sky today. Or maybe some religious fanatic is going to blow my behind up in a train station after deciding he wants to get closer to paradise today. Hell, I gotta wonder if some insane and depressed pilot whose wife just cheated on him and ran away with the kids is gonna fly today. Right into the 13th floor of my building where I just called my wife to tell her I gotta rise and pay. Or am I gonna get hit on some DWB while driving on I-95 today? Or maybe some crooked cop's gonna decide that some no good nigga's mom's gotta cry today? All this while wondering if Bush is gonna play chess if I lie today? Why today? Instead of thinking about all that today, I think I'm just going to lose myself in the movement. The moment I own it, because it might be time to go. It only takes one shot for cops to release my soul. Because our community stalked by filthy 5-0 souls. So I decided that I'm going to fight today. Because there's always just enough time left to be right today. See, I got kids looking up to me to take a stand against wars of Korea, Iraq, and Afghanistan today. So I gotta fight for the world to be safe for we. And this is also personal because I don't want my child to see my face next to the definition of complacency. I'm gonna fight this BS system with all of my might today. Because it's true that tomorrow will never die, but I might today. In a world where too many visionaries have become so hopeless that they're losing their sight today. And so many pedophiles and perverted priests out there that I gotta worry about whether my sons and daughters are gonna stay tight today. While Bush gives the rich tax cuts and the poor act cuts on educational spending, my students are depending on me to do what's right today. Looking down at the end of the tunnel, I woke up seeing the light today. Cause get this, nations may blow up entire other nations out of spite today. And though I got my cell phone on, I may not have enough time to call my mom to say goodbye today. Y'all may say I'm paranoid today, but inhaling historical truths has got me high today. So now I'm looking for heroines and heroes to help me stop our plight today. I'm even wondering if all the secondhand smoke finally gave me cancer today. So I called 911 for emergency assistance, but Bin Laden answered today. See, I just walked around thinking something's gonna get me. And I wonder why the hell you never found it if you're coming with me. So you just got to forgive me because I'm just recounting some of the signs of the times that we live in. Because if ignorance is bliss, I know some of y'all forgot the hell we done been in. Got me wondering if God's really gonna be forgiven for all of our sinning. Like killing each other in the name of religion. I don't know about y'all, but I'm gonna fight and never give in. So if I die before I lay my head to sleep today, I just pray to God my soul to keep today.
Woke up this morning After another one of those crazy dreams Oh, nothing is going right this morning The whole world is wrong I can't shake or lose these chains and things. Got to go to work this morning. Seems like everything is lost. I got a
twisted children are killing frogs. Poor dumb rednecks rolling logs. Tired old ladies kissing dogs. I hate the human love of that stinking mud. I can't use it. Trying to make it real compared to what. Pump this new remix. Uh huh. This is the remix. Radios play this remix.
truth. I know the truth. So what I'm asking you is, what is your end game? You've been listening to Our Common Ground. Thank you for tuning in tonight. I'm Janice Graham. If it's Saturday at 10 p.m., I'll be listening for you. Next Saturday, join us with Wendell Potter. We'll be talking with Wendell as he returns about his new book and about the Affordable Health Care Act. Do us a favor and yourself as well. Tell your friends about this broadcast. And join us on TruthWorks Network, Wednesdays and Fridays with Soul of Fire and The Alpha Show. You can find Our Common Ground on Facebook, on Tumblr, on Pinterest, and Twitter at Janice OCG. Thanks again, and don't forget, I'll be listening for you. And because we owe it to our ancestors, we fix things, we stand, we tell the truth, we deal with our truth based on we, the children of Shaka Zulu, we are gladiators.